Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Thank you for that uh, generous introduction. It's so encouraging to be on the campus of Southeastern. This is my first visit here, but I've admired and also benefited uh, from Dr. Aiken's work for many years. Uh, just encouraging to see what God is doing here and preparing uh, men and women for gospel ministry around the world. And uh, also good to be here on a day when there's no chance of ice. So uh, this, is, uh, this day is well chosen. I was given a... Um, an unexpected gift at the beginning of my time in seminary. I studied, as was mentioned, at Westminster Theological Seminary. And the gift was this. My wife, Lisa, was uh, teaching school, uh, which meant that I needed to get to my campus maybe even an hour and a half before I really needed to be there because she started her day quite early. And so during my time in seminary, uh, just about every day, I would make my way down to a little prayer closet, kind of a catacomby kind of place in the bottom of the, uh, the Machen, uh, mansion on the campus of Westminster Seminary. And that was a place that was set aside for prayer. And I was usually the first student on campus because of my wife's schedule. And that was an amazing place for me to read God's Word. Uh, it had amazing acoustics, so sometimes I would sing down there, uh, hoping that nobody could hear me. Um, and if you had uh, been with me in that prayer closet and had seen me open up my Bible, the bookmark would have had written out on an index card the text of Ezra chapter 7, verse 10 which is the verse that I, I want to be our focus together this morning. Let me invite you to turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter, or to Ezra chapter 7. And I can hardly imagine a better verse as a foundation for ministry, for pastors, for missionaries, for disciple makers, for teachers, or uh, a better verse to think of as the core of your theological education here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I want, want to invite you to uh, imagine what it would be like if Ezra enrolled at Southeastern. You might imagine him uh, coming to class in his sandals, I guess maybe whipping out his iPhone from his backpack to take a message, uh, whatever you can visualize. But here in this scripture, you would see the approach that he would take to study to life to ministry. And I want to begin uh, reading at verse 1. This is the very Word of God. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia, 
He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. I want to speak with you this morning about Ezra the priest, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to begin by reminding you of just the few of the things that Ezra did and said so you can appreciate what God was doing in his life as a scribe and hopefully appropriate what God can do in your life as a student. I say remind you, I guess that assumes that you know well the life and ministry of Ezra. I realize that not everyone does. We're we're introduced to Ezra here at the beginning of chapter 7. We learn that he came from a long line of priests going all the way back to Aaron himself, the first high priest under Moses. We learn that he was not living in Israel but was among the exiles in Babylon who had been there for decades. And we know he was a scribe, this is verse 6, skilled in the law of Moses. I expect you're here in seminary partly to master the Word of God. Ezra had mastered it. In fact, it's generally considered in rabbinic tradition that Ezra was second only to Moses in his understanding of the law of God. Here's a man skilled in the Scriptures, knowing uh, presumably from memory the Pentateuch. He knew its text. He knew its interpretations. He knew its applications. He was called and equipped to serve as a priest in Israel. Here in chapter 7, he received special permission to return to the holy city of Jerusalem. This was by the authority of the king himself, Artaxerxes of Persia, maybe the greatest, most powerful man in the world. He sent Ezra back to the holy city. Later on in the book, we'll learn that Ezra did not return empty-handed, but he was, it was placed under his care, treasures of silver and gold, sacred items for worship from the king's own treasury, so that Ezra was given everything that he would need to reestablish the worship of God in the temple of Jerusalem and to begin there again sacrifices of atonement. This is what's in view for Ezra's calling, that the covenant community would return to the covenant city and worship their covenant God. And I think it's evident that Artaxerxes recognized in Ezra very special abilities because this priest was granted broad authority not just to take people back to Jerusalem, but to levy taxes and to appoint judges and permission from the secular authorities to teach the law of God. Here here was a comprehensive responsibility of leadership. Ezra had the will to lead. 
Later on in chapter 7, this is down in verse 28, we will hear Ezra say that he took courage for the hand of the Lord his God was on him and he gathered the leading men of Israel to go up with him. He didn't just have a will to lead, he also had a heart for holiness. And if we were to go on and read the story, we would discover in chapters 9 and 10 the unique way that Ezra approached the very significant problem, a major sin in the life of Israel of intermarriage with people who practiced pagan idolatry. That same issue came up under the leadership of Nehemiah, the governor, and Nehemiah dealt with it very decisively. I don't know how wisely. We read in Nehemiah when uh, that good man found this problem in Israel, he said, I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Uh, Probably not what is recommended in your uh, courses on pastoral discipline. Um, I doubt it's anything people would recommend today. Ezra's approach was very different. You know what he did in response to the same issue of compromise with secular culture? When he found out that God's people had been faithless in matters of worship and marriage, he tore his clothes, he pulled his own hair, and sat down in mourning for an entire day, 24 hours. At the time of the evening sacrifice, he bowed down before God, and he offered a confession in which he numbered himself among the transgressors. This is the way Ezra prayed, "'Oh, my God, I am ashamed, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this.'" And the effect of Ezra's public confession was dramatic. The people followed the priest's example. They made their own confession. While Ezra prayed, we read in the Scripture, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him. The people wept bitterly. And I suppose his tears did more to accomplish real spiritual change than all of Nehemiah's beard pulling. Here was a man who had a heart for holiness, and his heart became the heart of a nation. It's perhaps A good example for those of us who are more tempted in ministry to scold people than to have hearts that are broken for sin. Ezra had the will to lead. He had a heart for holiness. He had a mind for biblical truth. I suppose the best example of that is not here in in Ezra, but over in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, one of my favorite passages in all of the Old Testament. That's the place where Ezra gathers the people in Jerusalem for the renewal of covenant worship, and at the heart of that renewal was the, the reading and the preaching of the Word of God. The Bible tells us that Ezra gathered the people in front of the water gate in Jerusalem, that he he brought out the, the book of the law of Moses that he read from dawn until noon, and he didn't just read it, he also explained it. He read from the book, from the law clearly, and he and the other teachers gave the sense so that people understood the reading. It's an amazing model for us in Scripture of expository teaching. It's really what faithful gospel ministry is all about, reading the Word and then giving the sense so that people can understand. This is the great man that Ezra was. You maybe can understand why he's one of my heroes in ministry with a will to lead, a heart for holiness, a mind 
for truth. And if we want to follow his example, I think we would want to know what is the, the secret of his spiritual success. Fundamentally, at the deepest level, it's the grace of God, of course. And the Bible is careful to point this out. If we ask the question, why did, why did Ezra find such favor in the eyes of this mighty king, Artaxerxes? Well, the answer is repeated for us. You see it in verse 6. You see it again in verse 9. You see it later in verse 28. The hand of the Lord his God was on him. How was he able to make this journey back to Jerusalem, the end of the exile, the good hand of God was on him? Where did he find the courage to lead the people of Israel? He speaks of God's steadfast love. He, he testifies, the hand of the Lord my God was on me. Here, here was a man that had God's hands all over him. At every stage in ministry, whatever he was accomplishing, it was all because of the grace of God, his gifts, his opportunities, his, his faithfulness. And I believe it is only the gracious hand of God that enables any man or woman to be faithful in gospel ministry. I wonder if, if I were to ask you this morning, where do you see the hand of God in your life? How has God had His hand on you? What, what testimonies we could share of God's saving grace in our lives, how He brought us out of sin and into the righteousness of Jesus Christ, how He worked through life experience and perhaps through relationships to bring you to a place where you, you sense that God had a call for your life. His hand has brought you to this seminary. What an extraordinary privilege that is. Is there any place in the world where you would get a more complete theological and practical education. God can be trusted to provide for your needs, to, to lead you to that next place of ministry that, that, that He has for you. This is what it means to be under the hand of God in your life. And maybe you could give the same testimony that Ezra gave, God's hand has been on me, His hand of discipline at times, His hand of comfort in every trial, His hand of guidance for the future. Now, all of that is true at the most fundamental level. This is the secret of Ezra's success. But I don't, I don't want you to miss Ezra's response, his, his faithfulness in response to what God has done in his life. He's, he's not a kind of puppet here, simply God forcing him to do things. He's a man with a heart and a will and a mind that responds to the grace of God in his life, and he needed to be faithful to the sacred trust that God had given to him. He, he needed to train his gifts for ministry and put them to good use. And Ezra did that. It's, it's obvious from what he accomplished, but the Bible shows us what was inside the man. It gives us an inward glimpse. Here is the secret of the ministry that he was able to exercise. Let me read again verse 10. Don't you think it's a marvelous verse? Don't you think it really says everything that needs to be said? Ezra, this is how the, why the hand of God was on him, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. What a, what a summary that is of what it means to be a faithful servant 
of the Word of God, a, a great verse for pastors, for seminary students. It's a great verse for theology professors. It's really a great verse for everyone. And I just have to testify in my life, as much as almost any other scripture, it shaped my understanding of what it means to be a student and a teacher, what it's meant to be faithful in ministry or to strive for that, what it's meant to be a husband and a father. By the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit, this verse can be used in a powerful way in our lives. The, the logic of the verse is impeccable. Uh, it's also kind of nice if you like things that have three points to them. This is a great verse for that. It's a kind of ABC one, two, three. And, and Ezra put things in the only order that makes any sense. Here's what he had set his heart towards, studying, doing, teaching the Word. It was the heart commitment. You might think of the heart as the con control center of your life. It's what drives and directs everything else. And Ezra had set his heart in a Godward direction, first for studying, obviously, before we can do what God wants us to do or teach anyone else what God wants them to do, we need to know what God is calling us to do, and that means studying the Word of God. We don't know what his particular study habits may have been. We, we are told here that he was skilled in the law of Moses. Surely he was a man like the man described in Psalm 1, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on whose law he meditated day and night. Ezra was raised in a family of priests. He had studied the Scriptures from his earliest childhood, hours each day, reading the Bible, pondering its meaning, discussing its implications with other students and scholars. This was the way of life for the Old Testament priests. And in those days, a scribe like Ezra would have committed Scripture to memory. His unrelenting ambition was to know the Word of God. And it wasn't just for his time in seminary, it was really for his whole life. One of my privileges in preparing for ministry was to spend several months as an intern for uh, William Still in uh, Aberdeen. I suppose Baptists wouldn't know him as well as Presbyterians do. He um, was the pastor of Gilcomston South Church in downtown Aberdeen, way up in the north of Scotland. He, he started preaching there the week that World War II ended. He preached chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Uh, over, more, over the course of more than 50 years uh, in ministry, and it was my privilege to go and meet with him every morning during the months of my internship and just talk about life and ministry and about the Scriptures. And one of the most amazing things about Mr. Still, and I, I met him when he was well into his 80s, 86, 87, something like that, as voracious an appetite for learning new things from the Word of God as anyone that I have ever met. Uh, we would be talking about some part of Scripture, a thought would occur to him, he would want to look at something in a book, and he would leap up as only an 87-year-old man can leap up from his chair, and with a kind of gleam in his eye, he would say, we're always learning, Philip, we're always learning. Uh, that's the kind of person I want to be if God gives me the opportunity to live into my 80s, always learning, always learning from the Word of God. This is the kind of scholar that Ezra was, and I think you will find 
that the people who are most effective in kingdom ministry are always people who are growing in the Word of God. You'll start with that now during your years in seminary, but you'll never outgrow your need for it. Well, Ezra didn't stop there. It wasn't just studying. That was the first thing. But secondly, there was the living. He didn't want to just learn the Bible. He wanted to live it. And so the Scripture says that he set his heart to do the law that he studied, which I suppose meant doing the things said in the Word of God, loving the Lord his God with all his heart and mind and soul and strength. It meant keeping the two great commandments of love for God and love for neighbor, and then you could break it down into the Ten Commandments and then into all of the examples and illustrations of the law that we are given in the Pentateuch, all of the regulations for priestly holiness and for public worship. Ezra wanted to do all of that. He wanted to live by the law of God. He believed that the only true theology is applied theology. I'm reminded of the parishioner who met the preacher at the door after the service and said, Pastor, that was a wonderful sermon, to which the pastor replied, well, it remains to be seen, doesn't it? The point was, it's not just the sermon we hear, it's actually the sermon that we live out. And this is Ezra's approach exactly. I suppose James would have found in Ezra a marvelous example of not just hearing but also doing. And I, I want to observe here that I think there is a reciprocal relationship. It's not that you study and then move on from that to doing and then move on from that to teaching, but actually in the doing, you become a better student of the Word of God. And these things have a mutual interrelationship that is reinforcing. I had a marvelous example of this just yesterday. I'm privileged to serve on the uh, executive board of the Lausanne Global Movement for Evangelism. And a number of us on the, on the board yesterday were just giving a little update in ministry. One of my colleagues on the board is Johnny Erickson Tada. Uh, many of you, I think, will be familiar with her uh, remarkable ministry around the world, caring for people with disabilities. And she just made a simple remark she said, you know, our Lord Jesus um, said that we should invite in the lame and the blind, those who are disabled. And that is one of the clearest places in the Bible for us to know exactly who we should be inviting into the kingdom of God. Now, in one sense, that's a kind of simple or obvious thing, but when you have been living that ministry, when that is your calling in your life, you see and understand the Scripture in a deeper and clearer way than you would if you were not engaged in the kind of doing that, that Johnny does. It's just an example of the way that our doing of the Word will enrich our studying of the Word and how important that is for thinking about your seminary education, because if that is true, then some of the most ex important experiences you will have in seminary are not just the experiences you have in the classroom or in the library or whatever quiet place you have to study. It will be the life that you are leading of gospel obedience, which then will inform the studying that you are doing in the Word of God. And then a third step that Ezra took was teaching God's statutes in Israel, uh, statutes and rules in Israel, the studying, the doing, 
the teaching. Uh, perhaps a few of you may remember, I certainly do, the old Nike slogan, just do it. Ezra would have taken sharp exception to that. I, I can't just do it. I, if I want to, to, to learn how to do it, I need to study it first. And then when I've started to do it, I want to teach it to someone else. He was compelled to share what he was learning from the Word of God. And I love the scope of ministry that Ezra has in view here. Where does he want to teach God's law? In Israel. He has a whole nation in his view as the object of his ministry of the Word of God. He, he understood that he had a responsibility for a, a wider spiritual community. He really had a heart for a nation, and specifically in this case, uh, a people that was separated from its home. Ezra developed this heart for ministry when he was in Babylon, and he was already thinking ahead to what it would be like to carry out this ministry of the Word of God in Jerusalem. I, I dare say there are some of you here this morning that, that feel a similar kind of divided loyalty. This is your home for now, but you have a home away from here, maybe a home overseas, a place where you feel compelled to share the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the kind of heart that Ezra had, and he was not ashamed. He was not embarrassed. It was not a lack of humility for him to say, I want to teach the Word of God to a nation. It was a holy ambition that God fulfilled in his life when he did return to Jerusalem. Can you imagine what it was like for Ezra, what was, how full his heart was on that day when the whole nation of Israel was gathered at the water gate, and he had an opportunity to do what had long been his prayer to do, and that was to open the Scriptures, to read them, and then to teach them in a way that people could understand. I spoke this morning with uh, one of our Hunt scholars here at Southeastern who has a heart for taking the gospel to Appalachia. That's just one example. But don't don't back away from that sense of calling that God has given you. Fuel it. Pray over it. Let it, let it shape your vision the way that, that Ezra's vision was shaped. But of course, all of that came later for Ezra. He didn't begin as a teacher. He became one. Some people feel called to a teaching ministry. They want to start teaching before they've really done the hard work of mastering the Bible. Just be sure that what you eventually will teach doesn't just go from your mind to your mouth, but that it passes through your heart and through your life so that there is something rich and full for you to pass along. I think all of this is so easy to apply. I hardly need to tell you how to apply it. You're called to be a student of the Word of God, reading the Bible, memorizing parts of the Bible. I would say, yes, having some space in your life for a devotional reading of the Bible, which is separate from any other purpose for it. But it is really my view that all reading of the Bible is devotional reading. It's all reading where we are under the authority of God's Word. It is all reading where the Holy Spirit has the power to influence, even when we're working hard to translate a passage from Greek or Hebrew into English, even that ought to be a reading of the Bible which is surrendered to the will and to the guidance of God. And then give special attention to new areas of personal obedience. What are you putting into practice? What, what do you suppose at the end of your time at seminary, you'll be able to look back and say, now that is an area where I have really grown in my Christian obedience. 
Uh, not, not just in my understanding of the Old Testament and the New Testament or church history or hermeneutics or all of that, which of course is, can be very helpful, but what are the areas of obedience? It, what is my spiritual transcript from seminary? How marvelous it would be if someone were able to say of you at the end of your time at Southeastern, you know, I, I don't know what they teach there. I really don't understand all the things that you've learned. I just know that you are a different quality of person, that my experience of you and of the love that you show to other people, it's just so different from when you began your time in seminary. That's the kind of goal that I think Ezra's example teaches us to strive for. And then once you've started living the truth, you can be trusted to teach it to others. And don't, don't forget that that is really the goal of all your studies. You are not here for you. You are here for a future generation, a spiritual harvest, an abundant fruit in the lives of other people that, Lord willing, for decades to come, well, that, that harvest will be reaped and event ultimately with a view to eternity. But you are here for those people, the people that will be benefited and blessed through your ministry. The knowledge you're gaining is a sacred trust that God intends for you to pass over to others. That is worthy of your very best efforts, your heart set to study, to do, and to teach. Now, all of that, I think, is very important. I think as you continue to meditate on this verse, God will bring it to life in your personal experience. But I, I, just, I just can't leave you without taking this one step farther. And that is being more explicit about considering Ezra according to the gospel. Now, now I understand when, when the Bible says here that Ezra studied the law of the Lord, that's, it's really talking about the Bible. It's not just talking about the law separate from the gospel. I mean, there's gospel, there's grace, there's salvation in the Old Testament. That's part of what Ezra was studying. And so Ezra was beginning to understand the gospel in his study, but but I, but I also know that Ezra lived before the coming of Christ, and so he didn't know the gospel the way that we know it. He didn't know the incarnation of God the Son. He didn't know the, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. He didn't know the miracles and parables of our Lord. He certainly didn't know explicitly the sufferings and death that Jesus suffered on the cross or His triumph over the grave. He didn't know that Jesus Himself would be the absolute perfect fulfillment of this verse. I love the words of the Puritan John Flavel, who said that Christ preached the doctrine and lived the application. If you look at this verse, you see it's exactly what Jesus did. He set his heart to study God's Word and then to live it out in obedience to the Father, and then to teach its commandments and commitments not only to Israel, but ultimately through His apostles to the nations. Think of Jesus in the temple with the scholars. Think of Him out in the wilderness quoting Deuteronomy in order to fend off the temptations of the evil one. Think of Jesus on the cross quoting from the Psalms and, and other scriptures. He was just, His life was saturated with the Word of God, and He did it. No one ever loved the Father with a more perfect love or kept the commandments with more, with a pure obedience. And then just think of the amazing 
teaching ministry of Jesus Christ. I mean, turn to any page in the Gospels and just spend a few minutes thinking about any of the things that Jesus said. It's, it's nothing anybody had ever said before. It's, it's a perfect teaching of the kingdom of God. And if all of that is true, I believe that Ezra would have given his entire ministry and everything that he knew to sit where you sit and to know what you know. Because you know the fulfillment of the gospel plan of God in the life and work and ministry of Jesus Christ. These were the things that Ezra was longing to know. If he were here today, I suppose we would have questions for him, but he would have a lot more questions for us, and he would be very interested in the gospel answers that, that we would give. And what would happen if you just took this verse and, and, and gave it a different flavor by putting the word gospel in place of the word law and put your name there, that you had set your heart to study the gospel and to do the gospel and to teach the gospel, not, not just studying hermeneutics and soteriology, but but the gospel itself, so that in all your thinking you are drawn to the person of Jesus Christ. In all of your study of the Scriptures, you're thinking about His sufferings, about the, res the revelation of His resurrection glory, the way it's worked out in all of Scripture, and the praise that comes into your life as you are always studying the gospel and then doing the gospel, living by grace. And how important that is for seminary students. I think you are learning so much Bible and theology that either you become a kind of spiritual giant, I mean, a pretty big spiritual giant maybe, you're growing, or else you become a really big Pharisee. I don't think there's much middle ground if you're learning this much Bible and theology and so what a great need you have to live by grace, the grace of the gospel, depending moment by moment on the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, accepting that you're a desperately needy sinner, that you're selfish and arrogant and uh, graspingly depraved kind of person that it can only be saved by the blood of God. That's, the, that's what it means to live by the gospel. If you live that out in the relationships you have on campus and off campus, that is really the test of your seminary education. And then, out of the strength of all of that, to teach the gospel, to share the gospel, including with people who have never heard the gospel. And I just, just ask, it's, it's Thursday, so we're pretty well into the week. Is there a person that you've had a, a significant spiritual conversation with this week? Are there people in mind specifically that you are praying for that God would give you an opportunity to bear witness to them? I mean, this is what it means to live a Great Commission lifestyle. It's, it's these kinds of commitments, and it's really no good to say, well, you know, after I'm out of seminary, once I'm in ministry, when I have more time for that kind of thing, you never will. Uh, this is the time to build into your life habits of not just studying and doing the gospel, but also sharing the gospel with others. I, I pray that you will not waste the amazing education that you are receiving here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be written on your spiritual transcript that during these years you had set your heart to study the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live by its grace, and then to share this good news with others. Lord, we want to make that not just a question, but a prayer. I want to pray for us, for this seminary community, that the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, would equip each of us with everything good that we may do your will, that you may work in us what is pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.